Good morning. morning. Hi. Hey, have you guys heard about this this Jesus guy? No, some of you have. You're here. Okay. Some of you didn't think that was that was the fun way to start the sermon. So you're here now, so we're just gonna keep going. Um, I I just said it say. I don't know when the last time was. You just sat down and read through one of the four Gospels, like the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. But it just, you kind of get used to the fact that he's extraordinary. You read over the life of Jesus and you find him um, engaging in robust theological debate, taking some of the biggest thinkers of the day and he's, he's turning them on their heads. He gives these incredible sermons that to this day have punchlines and hooks that people still quote. He had this ability to do uh, parables, imaginative storytelling that would get people so entrenched in the way that they viewed themselves in the world to finally begin to see themselves differently. Constantly moving towards the marginalized, feeding the poor, standing up against not just um, religious abuse, but political oppression, and then miracles, constant miracles, countless miracles throughout the life of him. And all of that oftentimes just on one page. Jesus lived this extraordinary life. And and over the course of that three-year ministry where all this stuff was happening, he had this little troop of disciples that he invited to come along for the ride. But the invitation for those disciples wasn't simply to be observers, kind of witnesses to all that Jesus was doing. He had called them to be apprentices. That as they were watching all of that happen, that they were slowly not just being with him, but slowly learning how to become like him so that they might do as he did. And so with all of this in mind, it's really wild that only one time in all four of those gospels do we ever get the disciples explicitly requesting Jesus, teach us how to dot, dot, dot. And so the question is, looking over all that Jesus has been up to, you would think the teach us how to would be, okay, give us a, a lecture on preaching, Jesus. Take us, you know, give us a TED talk on the, the right application of social justice. Give us a handbook on church leadership, Jesus. Give us, we would have all of these things, a hands-on demonstration on casting out demons and healing, you know, the blind. Teach us how to blank, blank, blank. The question, the request that they ask is actually shockingly, shockingly simple. Luke verse 11. Excuse me, Luke 11 verse 1. You'll just see it uh, behind me. He was praying, being Jesus in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Lord... Teach us to pray. This simple request, the author Ronald Rollheiser identifies, reveals something incredibly profound about the disciples' experience of Jesus. For all of his extraordinary outer life in the world, the healing, the teaching, the justice, the parables, the all of it, they perceived and saw out of that extraordinary outer life that all of it was the byproduct, all of it stemmed and came out of an extraordinary inner life with God in prayer. And so for these disciples who say, man, what I want to do is to become like my rabbi, to do as he did, they realized I will not be able to do that if I don't learn how to experience God like Jesus does. If all of that outer life stems from the inner life of prayer, then we're going to have to learn how to pray like Jesus in order to be like him and do what he did. Yeah? Now, now here's the thing. 
all of us in the room go, yeah, we, we get the importance of prayer. Like what I've just shared is, is maybe that's, that's interesting, but it's not necessarily innovative that prayer is the central point of the spiritual life. All of us would say yes and amen. And yet your experience of prayer when we leave this space is largely that of either empty obligation, starts and stalls throughout the week or the month, apathy, or let's just be honest, most of the time, confusion. Like, am I doing this right? Amen. Like, that's how most of our experience of prayer goes. And so this is the gift here now of what Jesus gives the disciples. Our request in theirs, teach us how to pray. Jesus, we want the sort of life that you have with the Father. We see the extraordinary life that you live in the world, and we want a piece of that to be expressed through our stage of life and our personality. So Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what Jesus gives them in Luke 11, but then it's repeated in Matthew chapter 6, is what's been known as the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, Jesus says, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what's going on here? Is Jesus, amidst all of our confusion, our apathy, and the disciples' questions and ours about prayer, Jesus gives this simple prayer known as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And it's, it's, it's a wildly profound prayer that has been lost to most of us just because of the fact of either familiarity or, depending on your tradition, just wrote recitate, reciting of it. Our Father in heaven. And then while you can do that, what's interesting is when you look at the differences, we don't have time to necessarily look at this today, but the differences between Matthew and Luke's Gospels, they have different versions of the Lord's Prayers. So instead of our Father in heaven, it's just Father, right? Little things like that where it's evident that there's something that's holding these two together, but it's evident that it's not one singular Lord's Prayer. But rather what Jesus is giving is a blueprint, a paradigm, a pattern, a skeleton for prayer that then can be added onto rather than just simply recited every single time. And so the way that you can kind of bring Luke and Matthew's versions together is by saying that the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus gives confused disciples about prayer is six words, six movements of prayer, which are Father, name, kingdom, bread, forgive, and deliver. In both Luke and Matthew's version, all six of these words, these six movements of prayer are included. And as we'll get to see in the coming weeks, each of these movements and words are a different sort, a different kind of prayer. And so six movements, six words. This morning, we're kicking off a six-week series that we're simply just calling Teach Us to Pray. And so what we're going to be doing is going through the Lord's Prayer, one movement at a time, looking at what does this reveal about prayer. But as the name gives away, the goal here, the prayer, the ask of the disciples when they came to Jesus wasn't, Jesus, teach us about prayer. Jesus, give us a theology of prayer. The ask was, teach us how to pray. And so the end goal of this series is going to be to help you and I grow, not just in a theology of prayer, but in our practice of it. Over the course of six weeks, we're going to be walking through this, helping you develop a daily personal prayer rhythm. And so the goal of all of this is not simply to help you pray more or pray better, whatever that looks like, 
or pray longer. The goal here is, remember what Rollheiser saw in the disciples in their view of Jesus. The goal here is to experience the sort of life that Jesus did, his experience of the Father, the life that he had, the thing that all of us intrinsically want for ourselves. We read the life of Jesus and we're like, I I want some of that going on in my life. Yes, expressed in my stage of life and my personality and my gender, 100%, but I want some of that in my life. We're all hungry for it, but then it leaves us saying, we need a teacher, we need a guide to get us there. And so luckily for us, that's exactly what the Lord's prayer is meant to be. So let's just begin uh, the series and our time today by making the the disciples' request our own prayer. Just invite you to just take a moment. We just come to God. We say, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Jesus, we see in you a life that is extraordinary, more than, as if that weren't enough, more than being redeemer and savior and king you also have given us this incredible portrait of what it means to be a human fully alive. That's the kind of life that we want. And the foundation of it all is a life of prayer. And so in the midst of our confusion, would you bring clarity? Our apathy, would you light a fire? Our starts and stalls, a rhythm of consistency? Would you make us into a people of prayer, not so we can become a community of prayer, but so that we can be a people who long for and experience all that you have for us, Jesus. Teach us to pray. Amen. So this week is the first movement of prayer. Our Father in heaven, or simply the Father movement of prayer is kind of how we're referring to it. So let's just enter right into here. What we have at the opening of this line, our Father in heaven, is far more than just an introduction to prayer, like the addressing of prayer. It's not just the introduction. It's the foundation of prayer, Father. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he begins with the familial, the relational, the intimate, Father, or in Aramaic that Jesus would have spoken, Abba. We translated that word Abba as, as, yes, father, but more like dad or papa or even daddy. As Joachim Jeremias was this scholar from a generation ago, he did all this survey to look at all of the Jewish prayers around the life and time of Jesus to figure out what made Jesus' prayer life so distinctive. And what he found was, one, that referring to God as father was exceedingly rare and really only shared for kind of those moments when you're referring to, like, the people of Israel, But an individual saying father was very, very rare. And Abba was absolutely unheard of. It would have been a scandal to think that you could relate to the creator, cosmic, infinite God as Papa. Like that was the scandal of the day. But the thing is, is 2,000 years of us sitting under this being a part of our cultures is God as father has really lost the scandal. It's become normalized, but then recently in our time, we, we've moved from it being normalized and just assumed to now it becoming challenging on two points. The first is we have a culture that is exceedingly uh, wary of anything that smacks of patriarchy. And Jesus teaching us to relate to God as Father is just like, hold up there. That's pretty problematic, Jesus, right? So that's the first thing. And I'm not saying that to make fun of it, just to identify that's where our culture is. We hear father and it's challenging, but far more challenging for us is not the cultural, but the personal dynamic here. Because here's the thing, 
you and you and you and you and me, we all have pre-existing definitions for dad built up and put together by our experience or lack thereof from our human fathers. When Jesus says, Father, you can't help the fact that you start reading into that word, the good, the bad, maybe some of more than the other based off the experience that we had with our dad. Now, here's the thing. In our exceedingly therapeutic age, and, and, and there's just a, there's a dark side that comes out of it. So hear me, there's a lot of very good things that come out of like the prevalence of therapy in our age, but there is a dark side. And one of them is our predisposition and our preoccupation with the faults and failures of our family of origin and how they have shaped us. Hear me here. I'm not saying that one, that we don't need to account for and deal with our mom and dad trauma and issues that we've inherited. Do they shape us 100%? Yes, we've got to deal with that. And I'm not saying this to downplay the deep rupture and pain that abuse does to a soul, particularly when received from a father. I'm not saying any of that to downplay it. That's been a human thing for all of time. But we have an age that is preoccupied with viewing our parents largely through the lowercase t or uppercase t trauma that we've inherited from them. The things where they failed, the things where dad got it wrong. And because of that preoccupation, then when we come to read Father in Heaven, we can't help but read God through that. So we just live in a culture where when the first thing that comes to mind is the word dad is angry, absent, apathetic, perfectionist, lazy, emotionally distant, when those are the first things that come to mind, and that's not that none of those things are necessarily true, but when those are the first thing that comes to mind, we will always find prayer a challenge to relate to God as Father because at the back of our minds, we'll always be wondering, is God actually just as perfectionistic as my Father was? And so do my prayers need to be largely either appeasement or just avoidance? Is God as absent as my father was? And so sure, I get letters for Christmas and my birthday. He kind of likes me, I guess, but he doesn't actually want to be present in the day today. Prayer will never, you'll never be drawn to prayer if we're viewing God through these false images. So this is why it's vital, vital, essential to understand what Jesus meant when he said father. What did Jesus mean when he was talking about father, when he used the word father? And we get the best definition of what Jesus meant, of in all places, not surprisingly, the first explicit mention of Jesus praying in Luke's gospel. The first explicit mention of Jesus praying in Luke's gospel comes in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. You'll see it right here behind me, okay? Follow with me. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And as he was praying, Heaven opened. Can we stop right here for a second? Are you looking for a good definition of prayer? There's a hundred out there. We're going to go through at least six of them in the coming weeks. But here's one for today. What is prayer? Prayer is the opening of heaven. Just sit on that. Keep going though for now. And as heaven opens, what happens? The Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove. Not a dove, not as a dove, like a dove. That's just a weird Bible side note. And... A voice came from heaven. Here it is. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to the one that he calls father, this is what's going on in his mind. 
Heaven being opened and like a reversal of the Wizard of Oz, the curtain of heaven is pulled back and it's not some puny guy trying to do his best, but the voice that speaks, you are my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. You are my loved for and longed after child. I'm so glad you're here. How many of you received that a lot growing up from your parents? I'm so glad you're here. When I look at the parenting of much of what we do today, our kids don't hear that enough. That's a whole side thing that wasn't in my notes. But So when Jesus says, pray like this, Father in heaven, this is the experience he's getting after. That when heaven gets pulled open and you finally get to the cosmic divine creator, the voice that comes forward is not try better, do more, get your stuff together but you are my loved and longed-for child. I am so happy that you're here. This longed-for proclamation that comes from heaven gets paired with this. I love this. I love this. They used to say, if you, can't, if you have difficulty believing in the, in the Trinity, go to the Jordan. That's where Jesus is getting baptized, in the Jordan River here. Because what we have is Jesus in the Jordan River, the Son, being baptized and praying, heaven opening, and the Father speaking, and the Spirit descending in the form of a dove. And so what's happening here is Jesus finds prayer is the time when praying heaven opens, a proclamation of love and belonging and delight is spoken from the Father. And then that is experienced, not just as a proclamation of heaven, but the presence of heaven in the Holy Spirit, who as he is present on him, comes in the, like this image, like a dove. And a dove is all the time and everywhere in the scriptures used as an image of peace, and wholeness. So when Jesus says, praying Father, what's meant to be experienced as we step out and relate to God as Father is we hear loved and longed for, delighted in child, and it wells up, resting on us is this presence of peace and wholeness. Is that your experience of prayer? So if this is heaven opening here, and this is what Jesus is getting at when he talks about Father, the question is what? To go back to the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus mean when he doesn't just say our Father, but our Father in heaven? What, what are we opening up in prayer? Now, the problem with heaven is that most all of us, we assume we're talking about one or two things. One is someplace far beyond Alpha Centauri and the Hubble telescope. It's some like geographic space way out there, distance. We think heaven is about distance or you think about where you're going to go when you die. That heaven is like, the, you know, some ethereal non-place that you're just floating, sitting on harps or whatever. It's where you go when you die. Sitting on harps? Sitting on clouds, playing harps. Don't sit on harps. I don't, I don't know how that would go. And so the problem is, is we have two, two things. And these are um, largely um, cultural understandings of the word heaven that don't actually emerge from the scriptures themselves. When scripture talks about heaven and specifically God being there, it's used to talk about two things. Two things. To talk about God in heaven first is to talk about God's transcendent power. One of my favorites is Psalm 115. It says, our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. To say that God is in heaven is God's the one that's in charge. God is the one that's over the created material world. And so he is the one that's out, not just necessarily outside of it, but over it all. He doesn't answer to anyone. The, 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 the Bible language word for this is that God is sovereign. 
And what I mean by that is not sovereign in the form of meticulous providence that some of us read that is, but sovereign is God can do and will do whatever he wants, and he doesn't have a boss that he has to answer to. Now, let's bring this together here with a father thing. Why is that such good news? Is that when I come to God as my father in heaven, I am stepping into the reality that the God who says, you're my beloved child, I'm so happy you're here, I'm compassionate, about all of your needs and what you're going through, but because he's also in heaven, he's not just compassionate about your needs, he's more than capable to meet them. Our father in heaven is to say, my father, my transcendently powerful father. And then the second thing is not just about transcendent power, but about God's imminent presence, his presence. You see, think if we say in heaven, it's like, so I better speak up because he's somewhere out there, you know, with Elon Musk, you know, on Mars or something right now. God, like in heaven, we think of it as about a distance thing. But heaven here, it's actually um, in the Greek that Luke is writing this is our father, and it's actually plural, in the heavens. Uranos is the Greek word, in the heavens. And that just sounds weird to us, and so we translate it as in heaven. But it's, it's in the heavens, or is this can simply just be translated. The Greek word uranos is is in the air. So this is a way of saying our father who is in the air. What what are we getting at here? Is my father who is unseen and yet is all around me right now. He is present to me anywhere that I go. And even right now, he's present inside me. And as now that oxygen goes into my lungs and now it's going out into my blood. God is, he is closer to me than I am to myself. To say father in heaven is not about his far off distance, but it's actually about his imminent presence. He is right here. And so this is part of the weird thing where you have this, the psalmist in 139 who's talking about where can I go from your presence? But all the time, he keep, the, the psalmist keeps reflecting on the fact that God is in heaven, but then he says, if I go down into the, into the cave, you're in here. If I go on top of a mountain, how is he simultaneously in heaven and in all of those places? Be, because he's everywhere present, in the air. And so when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, when that prayer opens heaven, so to speak, what it is opening, it is opening ourselves to the power and presence of God. Is God always powerful in heaven? Yes and amen. Is he always present in amen? And even with us, yes. But prayer is when we open up ourselves to be present to the God who's always present. We open up ourselves to receive the empowering work of the God who is so always powerful. So this is prayer. This intimacy and belonging and delight. And so where so many of us have stops and starts to our prayer, Jesus' experience here in Luke 3 leads to a whole life of prayer. Just look at this. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, you can go to the next slide. Uh, Just two chapters over. Jesus often, often, regularly, one translation says, as was his practice, withdrew to deserted or quiet places and prayed. Luke 6, 12, he went out to the mountain and spent all night in prayer. While he was praying, Luke 9, while he was praying in private. Luke 28, he went up on the mountain to pray. That's with his disciples. It was in prayer that Jesus was transformed and transfigured. And the disciples not only got to hear the same voice that Jesus heard at his baptism, they saw Jesus physically transformed for a moment. Prayer is not just about perceiving, it's about a transformation of our identity. Oh my goodness. Luke 22, 41. And then here we have the night before his crucifixion. He withdrew from them, knelt down, and began to pray. 
So where all of us have apathy, confusion, what Jesus experienced at the Jordan shaped and pushed on a whole life of prayer for him, where often, regularly, was his practice to get away, to be with the Father, to experience heaven being opened, and to receive, once again, you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. To receive, once again, the love and the affection of his Father, the power and the presence that comes through the Holy Spirit. And the third is also, as we... I kind of hinted at a moment ago, this was also prayer was the time for him, not just to experience the Father's love and receive the Spirit's presence and power. It was also his moment to reorient himself to his identity and vocation, who he was and what he was to do. I was gonna cut this for time, but I was talking to Justin Gum, um, so if this isn't any good, it's Justin's fault. Um, He was like, oh, that's so good. So I was like, all right, well, we'll keep it in. So this is the whole thing, okay? So part of what's happening when Jesus prays, Father, right, is he's not simply just reflecting on, oh, you love me, and, and that's, that's who you are. To identify God as being Father is to place over himself, my identity is Son. And, and I, most of you are like, okay, good job, Ryan. Is that it? Like, that's the thing that Justin needed to say? Just notice what this means. In the ancient world, sonship meant so much more than it does in ours. So we live, watch me here, in a radically expressive individualist culture, which means your identity, who you are, your vocation, what you do, largely are for you to discern, discover, and find within yourself. And so what we're told is in order to find who you are and what you are to do, you actually need to leave home. You need to go away from dad, and that's where you'll find it, right? We have a whole, it's called college. It's a whole place of discovering who I am and what I'm meant to do. So, and, and I'm not even like saying this is necessarily wrong. Most of us are still paying debt. And so we would say, yes, it is. But just notice, step back for a moment into the ancient world of what Jesus is getting at. And let's just imagine you're walking around the streets of Jerusalem and you bump into some like punk nosed little kid and like, who are you? And he's like, well, my dad's Ephraim. And you're like, okay, I know Ephraim is the shepherd. Or you bump into some kid, my dad is Joseph the stonemason or whatever, right? You see this little kid here and what you now know is that this child is not just the pride and joy of Ephraim. He's not just descended from the loins of Ephraim or whatever that means. What you're looking at right here is a little shepherd, you're looking at this little apprentice child. This is how the world worked. Ephraim grew up. Yeah, he went to synagogue. Yeah, he's learning Torah. But the whole time he's walking with dad, learning and watching dad, being with him, becoming like him so he can do what he did, taking over the family business and having that whole identity and calling expressed through his personality and gifting as he matures up into it. So this little kid, you're just like, man, Ephraim's got it made because he doesn't have to toss and turn at night wondering, who am I? Did I make the right decision? What am I meant to do with my life? Is this the wrong thing? He just gets to get it as a gift and walk in it. Now, some of us, we're so individualistic that that feels like a constraint. But man, sometimes, have you been up at night wondering if you're going on the right career path? If you're identifying as the right person? Like, this is the gift that you can just go, oh, my identity and my vocation, my calling are a gift received and not something I have to perform or achieve. And the gift of what Jesus does here is he invites us to that kind of life with him. That we simultaneously can relate to the Father and receive our identity and our vocation from him. So when you read through the Gospels and you find Jesus saying things like, I only do what I see the Father doing, what's he getting at there? He's just being a good apprentice son. And so the gift 
of what Jesus is giving us here is your identity, your vocation, your calling can be something that you can receive as a gift from your father to step into the life of being a beloved apprentice child or, in a word, a disciple. The life of discipleship to Jesus is, is all part of Jesus' life of discipleship, if you want to call that, to the Father. And so we're following him as he is, is revealing and showing us what the Father is all about. We do it imperfectly. He does it perfectly. How are we doing? Great. Okay. So here we go. Now, remember, the goal here is not just a theology of prayer, which we kind of just did a little bit ago. Um, what, what we need to do now is, okay, so what does this mean actually in my life? like how I actually pray tomorrow morning, right? So we're gonna talk about now the practice of this movement of what we just call contemplating the Father. This kind of idea that what does it mean for me to pray our Father in heaven and not to get to any other words or movements yet, but just to pray our Father in heaven. What does it mean for me to receive the delight, the love, the intimacy, the power and the presence of God and to find my identity in those things. This is what historically has been called contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer, you'll see behind me, um, it's also referred to as beholding prayer. One of my favorite um, like ways of talking about this kind of prayer is looking at God, looking at us. Have you, is, this, is this something that's even in your category of prayer? For most of us, it, it, it's not. We think that prayer is just me coming to God with a list of demands. But Jesus invites us into the first place of prayer is just an attentive being with God. It's called the gaze of faith, silent love. I like to imagine contemplative prayer is the Sabbath of the Lord's Prayer. So all the other movements of the Lord's Prayer, um, honored be your name, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us of our debts and deliver us from evil. That's all us partnering in and receiving God's work for us. It's like all the work prayer. But contemplative prayer is when we're not productive for God's kingdom or productive with God, we're just resting with him. We're just present to him. So it's the Sabbath of prayer, or as one author put it, my favorite is wasting time with God. In the sense that like, it's not wasting time, but I just love that language of like with a friend. I'm just, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just, we're just hanging out. We're just being present to one another. We're wasting time in that sense. We're not being productive, but just present to one another. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about the movement of father prayer or contemplative prayer. Handful of passages in scripture you'll see behind me that kind of just point to this as being something that for some of you are like, where's this in the Bible? And you break out in hives right here. Um, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. This is contemplative prayer. Psalm 48, 9, God, within your temple, we contemplate contemplative, your faithful love. Psalm 62, 1, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And then I love 2 Corinthians. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Contemplative prayer feels like we're not doing really anything. It feels like we're wasting time with God. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, it's how you get transformed into the image of Jesus is by simply contemplating and resting in who God says you are and who he's making you to be. Okay, so now, well, oh man, see, okay. So here's, here's what's helpful for me to think about with contemplative prayer, okay? Is the, you got the Lord's Prayer, or just any prayer. Contemplative prayer, beholding God, receiving his affection and delight. Um, it's helpful for me to, to think of it like the inhale of prayer. 
So if, if all the rest of the Lord's Prayer are you talking outward, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will, right? Um, our Father in heaven is the deep inhale. Our Father in heaven, and then hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And the problem with most of our prayer lives is that we enter into prayer without breathing in first. So why does most of your prayer feel like it runs out of breath? Why does it feel like it just kind of pitters away? It's because there's been a, there has been a lack of first bringing in who God actually is, who he says you are, and his commitment to you. And so as we breathe that in, breathe in truly who God is, what he, how he relates to us, his affection for us, it then gives a potency and a shape to how we pray all the rest of those lines and movements. So now, to get even more practical, um, I want to invite you, if you've got your notebook open or phone, I want to invite you to make a plan for what daily prayer practice would look like for you. Some of you are new and you're like, I'm just like, here, I'm checking things out. That's great. We're so excited you're here. For those of you that are like, man, I want to experience the life that Jesus had and to pray, learn how to do that with him. Um, I'm gonna invite you, get out your phone, get out your notebook. And uh, I just want you to consider uh, three questions when it comes to a prayer practice. And that is when, where, and how. When, where, and how. First is when which would be simply to figure out, like Jesus, regularly got away at specific times to go pray, what would be your specific time to get away and pray? For some people, for most, they find it most beneficial to do that before the day gets started with all of its distractions and things pulling you all the different ways. But just to think through, when, when would be the right time? But second on when is the duration. How long are you going to pray? Now, this is the thing that I'm very excited about uh, with, with this series. Um, so here's, here's what I want you to consider. Is um, we've got three, three kind of time sets, durations for prayer. Um, first, for those of you that are beginners or young parents, 15 minutes. For those, for the most majority of us, 30 minutes. And for those of you who are like, we'll call you seasoned practitioners of prayer, uh, one hour. One hour of daily prayer. Now, just consider, where am I? Which of those seem like, I, 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 that seems impossible, but I could do that, right? Like, it's, it's right at that range of what I, I just, I feel pulled to that. So if you're a new mom or you're a new follower of Jesus and prayer is new, starting with 15 minutes would be great. For most of us, probably 30 minutes. So I want you to note that, but, 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 note it, tuck it away, because we're not actually gonna get to that number for six weeks, what we're going to do is with each of those six movements, pair them with a specific length of time that over six weeks will build up to you praying for that amount of time. So you say, man, I want to pray 15 minutes, but right now that seems impossible. You could probably pray for two this week and then four next week, right? And then six, it doesn't equal that. It's two and a half minutes, but what do you want? Uh, or let's say 30 minutes. I want to do that, but 30 minutes seems impossible, but you could probably pray for five this week and five next. I'm gonna pray for an hour, but that seems impossible. But you could probably pray for 10 minutes, right? This week. And so the goal is that as each week we will incrementally add. So this week is contemplating the Father. Next week, spoiler, is going to be about adoring his name, right? And so this week is just two, five, 10 minutes of, of contemplating the Father. And then next week you'll contemplate the Father and then adore his name, right? And then the next week, we'll add, right? You can see how that, that works out. The goal here is to think about this as a marathon training. So Bryce, who's leading worship, he ran a marathon last week. And then Catherine and Allie are preparing for a half marathon, right? Okay, here's how this works for them. They don't wake up and go, I'm going to run the full length and try really hard today, right? And I'll just do that 
on the morning of or, or whatever. What do they do is they start with a small, simple, doable length, build up the rhythm, and then they stretch it just a little bit further, right? Build up the rhythm, and then they stretch it a little bit further. The goal here is, again, by six weeks, that whether that's, um, what did I say, 15, 30 minutes, or 60 minutes, that that could be actually like your reality, like a regular habit. Now, stuff always happens or whatever, but that could be a habit. Now, hear me here. The goal here, and I'm going to say this 100 times over, the goal here is not simply so that we pray more, pray better, whatever that looks like, or pray longer. The goal here is to open ourselves up to a deeper receptivity of God and what he wants to do through us. Amen? Okay. So that's when. Next is where. So Jesus got mountains, quiet places. He's going wherever he wants to go for prayer. So the question is, along with when, you naming your, where, when you're going to do it and how long you're going to do it, that you just name, where, where is that place for you? Um, some of you have like the availability in the space where you literally have a prayer closet. You are so much cooler than all of us. Uh, others of us, it's just like coffee in a chair somewhere in the house, right? Or it's at the kitchen table, or it's, it's sitting on the floor of our bedroom, or it's walking to a nearby park. Where, where daily can you kind of have a specific set-aside space that's just like your space for prayer? Like I said, a corner on the floor of your bedroom or a particular chair, what what could that place be for you? What gets you excited? Like that's, yeah, that, oh, that's the place. That would be that for me. And then finally is how. Now each week, you're gonna be, we're gonna be doing a different how because each, each movement of prayer looks a little different. So let me just detail what how contemplative prayer could look for you. So contemplative prayer, like I said, is that silent love. It is, it's not me saying necessarily anything to God or asking anything of God. It's simply me receiving. It's me looking at God, looking at, at, at me. And so to enter into this, you just find, once again, that time, that place, set a timer on your phone for two, five, ten minutes, and then shuck it across the room where it can't distract you. And then uh, just sit down or you cross-legged or you're going on your walk. And just begin by first just, just paying attention to your breathing. Not because there's some kind of like weird, cool, like, you know, start levitating if you do that. It's literally because of the fact that we have what Henry Nouwen calls minds that are like a banana tree with monkeys in it. Just hopping, you know, these thoughts going all over the place. And just by giving ourselves, we're something that we're giving our attention to that's very simple and rhythmic, that it, it slowly kind of brings our attention in. Again, you're not going to start levitating. It's literally just because you have, you have monkey brain. Um, so as you begin to kind of just hit that space where you're like, okay, here, I'm attentive. I have at some level beginning to have the distractions come out. Then just begin to pair that breath with some kind of short, what's called a breath prayer. So that could be literally from the Lord's Prayer. Our Father on the inhale, our Father, and this is all in your mind, it's silent, our Father, and then exhaling in heaven, just our Father in heaven. Or um, uh, I am your beloved daughter in whom you delight right? Or I am your beloved son in whom you, I, and you inhale. I am your beloved daughter in whom you are well pleased or something in effect. Or, or which comes from Brandon Manning is that language of Abba is just on the inhale of Abba, I belong to you on the exhale. Now the goal here is once again, not some kind of, like I said, yogi, you're going to float through the sky and something's going to happen. It's literally just keeping your focus on a small set of words and allowing them to slowly work down from your head of like, oh yeah, God's my father, down into your heart by giving them sustained attention. And so with that breath prayer, the goal is then you've got something that's keeping your attention focused and you're focusing on something very simple, which is just that God calls you his delighted child, right? 
And then the goal, and then what's great about that is then also as you get distracted and you will, you have something that you can immediately use to not, there's not, where was I? Oh yeah, I was right there. The same thing that I was praying over and over again, our father in heaven, Abba, I belong to you. So as you continue in that, then this can take different shape depending on kind of your personality and how you're wired. For some of you that are more visual, as you're praying our father in heaven or whatever that breath prayer is, you can imagine um, God's face looking at you, smile, his compassion, his embrace. If you are more emotional, it may just be simply opening your heart to feel those emotions of love and delight. This may manifest as a smile or laughter or even tears of joy at certain times. But for some of us that are more, you're more intellectual like me, what's really helpful with this, where again, it doesn't feel like some kind of like weird yogi thing, is simply pairing each of those with some different attribute of God, depending on the day or the season. And so that might be, um, instead of just our Father in heaven, it's just, you know, um, loving Father, like loving Father. Loving Father on the inhale, I just, I belong to you, right? Or um, present Father, like you are here with me. Present Father, you're here with me. Um, strong Strong Father, you hold me, right? Present Father, like I'm safe with you, right? Holy Father, I see you, right? You just, you can rotate through those depending on the seasons. Like I'm in a season where when breath prayer, all it is is just patient Father, thank you. Patient Father, like that's, the, that's when you know Ryan's in a good season. Patient, not, maybe, not, maybe not a good season, just patient Father, thank you, right? And so you just allow that. And then timer will ring. You say amen, which is just the word, so be it. All you're saying is, God, yes, let me live in light of who you are and who you say I am as I go into my day. If you already have a pre-existing Bible reading plan or other prayer practices, feel free to integrate those before or after. But the end goal in developing this plan for this week is simply for you to set aside some time to contemplate how much your Father delights in you and loves you and what that means about the deepest sense of who you are. Now, a couple quick thoughts. One, as for those of you uh, who think this is woo-woo scary stuff, um, cause you've just like, you know, you're just, you're very Protestant and we're very thankful for you. Um, but for some of you that's like, this is, this, this feels weird. Just a couple of things. One, the goal is contemplative prayer. The goal is contemplating God's love for you in silent love. So whatever form works for you, go after this. There's no magic to this. This is just like a time on, like, this is helpful of like getting your, your brain to focus on one thing for a sustained period of time. And so if, if you try it and you're like, yeah, this just feels like I'm just like, breathing heavy, like, then, then feel free to change it up, figure out what works for you. Um, but I, I think, because for me, when I was first kind of like, this is just weird. One of the things, because I just, I never learned how to pray this way at first. What was helpful for me was seeing it as a reenactment of what happens in Genesis chapter two. So in, in Genesis chapter two, God, you know, makes the man out of the clay. And then what does he do? He breathes life, breathes the spirit into him. And then that's where like Adam gets up and now he's like a walking, talking human. And so it's just good for me to start my day. Like this is my, from the lump of clay that is Ryan rolled out of the bed and the caffeine hasn't kicked in yet. Like just father, you're breathing your life and your spirit into me, giving me life for the day. And that, that, that at least helped for me. But again, if this is like woo woo scary stuff, I don't just like read, the, read a verse a handful of times about God's love for you. Just go for a walk and say thank you. Like you figure out what works. All I'm giving is what's been helpful for me and helpful for a lot of people over the past 2000 years. So, you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and then I'll just say, as you figure out the, uh, the when, the where, and the how, if you're in discipleship group, and you should be, share that with your group this week. Talk through your plan. Talk through how is it going so far so you can encourage one another. And then just consider taking a couple minutes at the end of discipleship group just to do contemplative prayer together. 
just to sit and rest in God's presence together, and then like, amen, there we go. So all of this can be found at collectivechurch.com slash current series for you to reflect on and kind of continue to build that. But I will say, try to set your plan before the end of the day. If you're like, oh, I'll figure that out tomorrow morning before I do, it, it, I, I just, we all know it's not gonna happen. But do that today, set aside some time to just figure out what that is and then, and then get rolling. You may even text your discipleship group like this afternoon. All right, this is what I'm doing, so you know, hold me to that because this is who I want to be. So there we go. Now, as we close, we gotta return to one three-letter word, a big three-letter word that we skipped over almost entirely. Back at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus doesn't just teach us to pray, Father in heaven, but our Father in heaven. Now, all of you who've heard me teach on the Lord's Prayer in some form before have heard me talk about how Jesus teaching us to pray, our Father in heaven, is a sledgehammer against individualism, which it totally is. Like, yes and amen. We are meant to, by saying our Father, realize that we come to God not as a, just a me and God, but a we and our Father as a family, right? Um, but there's something more, something much, much more profound. And that is that it's Jesus who teaches us to pray our Father in heaven. What's happening here is, is Jesus is inviting you into the relationship that he has with the Father in prayer. And this, I think, is the big answer to those of you that maybe feel some discomfort about calling God my Father in heaven, of feeling able and worthy of opening yourself up to the presence of God. For those of you that feel, I, that, that, that seems wrong of me to daily sit down and say, I am your beloved child in whom you're well pleased. Most of us shirk at that idea. I'm telling you. I, I just, I mean, maybe that's just, maybe that says more about me and my neurosis than yours. But like the fact that I would sit and daily have the boldness to say, God, I'm your beloved child. You're happy to see me. You delight in me. Like, no, I am a selfish mess. In the words of scripture, I'm, I, am, I am pulled to and fro by all kinds of temptations and sins and idols and attachments. I am apathetic towards not just prayer, but God at best. And so for me to step into this and to say and talk as if that were true about me and that God actually feels that way about me would be either my delusion or God's empty flattery. Because when I look over my life and inside of this little heart, I'm like, beloved, delighted in? Like, I, I, I chose to play an iPhone game instead of praying yesterday. <laughs> Delighted in, this is the one they're like, that is my son, right? No, like, proud of, you're proud of me? Like, on one side, most of us feel that, and then there's those of us who had parents who were just way too affirming, and you're just like, well, of course God feels that way about me, and we all know that that's not the case. Um, and today, this is your, your, your intervention. But the reality is almost all of us feel this way, that praying that, that's like, that it pray, my breath prayer every morning would be like, I am your, how selfish, how self-centered. Aren't we trying to get out of individualism? Like, what are you talking about here, right? You guys feel that with me. I'm not, I'm not up on a, on a stick by myself. Okay, so, so how, how can I pray our Father in heaven? How can I receive the relationship that Jesus had with the Father as genuinely being true about me? Galatians chapter four, you'll see it behind me. When the time came, God sent his son to redeem us so that we might receive adoption. 
And so because you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So keep this up here because there's so much going on here. The first thing is to notice, what is the thing within us that makes us cry out and know God as Abba, Father? Not simply the spirit, but the spirit of his son. What's going on here is Jesus is overlaying, and not just overlaying, sending into us through the Holy Spirit his very identity. His, you are my beloved and longed for child who I delight in, goes into you now. And it's a work of adoption that has been brought about through the redemption of what Jesus did, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection and his sending of the Spirit. This is why... It's not insane for you to pray this, for you to receive the words that God the Father gave over Jesus at the Jordan River as being for you. Because that was precisely what Jesus went to. So yes, though you are pulled to and fro by all kinds of sin, temptation, yes, I am an absolute selfish mess who gets it wrong just about as often, if not more so, than I get it right. And yet, through what Jesus has done in going to the cross and his resurrection, I can say and pray and receive these words as being genuinely true about me. N.T. Wright likens both the Lord's prayer, but also the spirit of his son here being sent into us as um, as like a big hand-me-down shirt given from a grown-up grown older brother to like their little, their little sibling. So the little kid puts on this shirt, and you know, it's clearly way too big for them. And throughout the day, they're walking around the house pretending to be their older brother. So they're talking to dad as if they're their older brother. And they're, you know, walking around the house, and they're, you know, getting stuff. They're eating foods that they don't normally like because they're pretending to be their older brother. And as they spend the afternoon impersonating their older brother, they start to realize what it would be like to be him. And and, N.T. Wright says this is precisely what the Lord's, all of the Lord's prayer, all that we're going into does. It is us putting on the identity of Jesus and wearing it around the house and going, so this is what it's like to be Jesus. This is what it's like to be a child of God. But then also realizing as we do, I didn't steal this shirt from him. He gave it to me. And so as we pray it every single time, we more and more are like, you know, putting on the identity of Jesus who he is and what he's like, and we're realizing what it might be like to be more and more like him. And day by day, as this goes on, you see, at first it feels too big. Like right now, when I say that you are invited to pray on a daily daily basis, I am the beloved and longed for, delighted in child of God. You might put that on because Jesus gave it to you, but it feels kind of big, right? Because you played video games instead of praying or whatever, right? But then what you find is that as you continue to pray it day after day, you, you, it starts to fit you a little bit more. It starts to become just as much the shirt that your brother gave you as now it's, it's your shirt too. But it never stopped being the shirt that you graciously received from your older brother. But it starts to fit. Because as you start to follow Jesus and be more like him, you find you start living in ways that the reality of the fact that you are delighted in through Jesus' work actually also becomes true in the life that you actually live. And the identity that he speaks over you, the relationship of God as Father, starts to become the way that you actually experience God throughout your days. You see, it begins as a big giant shirt that you just lay on and you walk around the house. But day after day, you slowly grow into the work that Jesus accomplished for you to know God this way. And so for us to pray 
our Father in heaven, is that the practice of experiencing the redemption and the adoption that Jesus completed, for us to inhale our Father is to breathe in the gospel itself. Let's pray.